This is Rugger Matrix America. Hi, everybody. This is Alex Goff with RugbyMag.com, and I'm with Bruce McLean, as always. And we're here to talk Super League this week. And Bruce, how's it going? I'm great. Yeah, this is going to be a pretty fun show. We're gonna we're gonna preview some of the Super League teams this week, and we're gonna preview some of the Super League teams in the next show. So. Give everybody a chance to find out what's happening with each of the different clubs, who's playing, where they're playing, what's going on, who's yeah. come through the system and all that. So we're pretty excited. And our first guest is coach of semifinalists this year for the first time, Boston Rugby Club's Mike Diamantopoulos, who has vast experience in the U.S., and uh, Mike, welcome to the show. And 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 was a was it replaced me at ARN actually as a podcaster? So he's a pro. That's right. We've done, I've done this before. Thanks, guys. It's uh, it's great to be on the show. Mike, it's great to have you on the show. And it was a good season for Boston last year. And I and I probably I was thinking about asking Bruce what was uh, Nyack's toughest game, and uh, he might he might well have said Boston. Uh, and where, where do you go from here, I guess? You look and say, with some satisfaction, they had a good season last year. Uh, d- did you look at that and say, yeah, this is great? Or do you look at that and after a while start cringing and saying, if only this, if only that? I, I mean, I think you have to, you know, in, in, in sport, you have to have a short memory. So um, I, I think we had, you know, I, I talked to the guys a lot going into this season that, hey, you know, we didn't finish off the way we wanted. We had a great season. We made the semifinal. We want to do better, but we can't really live in the past. So you just got to move forward. It's a, it's a new team. You know, the core guys are the same, which is nice. But, uh, you know, it's a new day, new season. It's a new league when you look at the uh, how it's been restructured and reconfigured with the two Chicago teams uh, joining the East. So, uh, you know, it's a brand-new challenge. And, uh, you know, I stepped in for Gene. I was Gene's assistant, Eugene Montjoy, for a couple of years. So, uh, you know, I had one season in the fall under my belt, and uh, – this is the second season, so it's kind of a new day and a new challenge for us. So, do you have new players? You know, we do have a we do have a couple of players who have left and a couple of play, new players who are joining us. Um, so, yeah, there's been a little bit of uh, of turnover, if you will, with the team. Mike, who are the guys that have come through the collegiate system or come through the high school system, or and, and any maybe all star program sevens or whatever that are on your team who are Americans and then can you follow up with who the foreign players are that you brought in and where they came from as well? Sure, sure. Um, I think you, when you look at when you look at the four four guys that have been uh, through the system here at Boston, especially American players, you look at guys like Duran Voda, who came in through the Northeast, has been invited to a few sevens camps. Uh, Kyle Marshall, who was uh, you know recently captain sevens this. Uh, this past year. Um, guys like Tony Papuro, who received their first cap uh, this past summer in uh, Churchill Cup competition and competed in the ARC. Um, and those are all guys that came through the Northeast system that, uh, you know, that, that Gene recruited when he was part of that system. So um, there is a real good core of, of American players that are that are still with us. Um, Will Hadex, another one that came up through the Northeast, um, got invited to a domestic camp last year, as did Hugh Galligan. Who's a Boston College guy? Who's also our captain? Who was uh, invited to that domestic Eagles camp last year? So um, you know, good core of you know American players that have come up through the through the New England or, or NRU system. What about some of the foreign players that you're bringing in? Sure, I mean, you know, for us, uh, 
you know, we were, we were lucky enough to bring Marcus McAllister back, who's here on a uh, on a on a work visa um, for a year. He was a center from uh, from Ireland who played uh, for Old Belvedere, who was with us last year. You know, unfortunately, Robbie Calhoun, our number eight from last year from New Zealand from North Harbour, is uh, is overseas in Scotland playing. He won't be back, but uh, we are bringing in a uh, in a ten Bruce that you'd like to know. But I told you already from uh, from North Harbour. Nick Elric will be joining us. So, um, foreign players. That's about it. Uh, you do have a couple other American players that I wanted to get into. Uh, sure. Mike Bonsu came through the under nineteen system as well, and yep. Brennan Moore, another kid from from BC who's who's been showing well on the. You know, he you know. showed well on the Super League team. Not always as a starter, but definitely has has given a little bit in, in terms of a uh, of a presence coming off the bench. Yep. And then I think you got, uh, and I think you know you, you, when you, when you look into is Sharky still playing scrum half and 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 um and that kind of thing. You, who who do you got leading the midfield? I just wanted to talk a little bit about your team and what's going on with them because we're just sure. going to try to get a preview as to everybody, all the teams, and what's going on. Yeah, I mean you know you, you mentioned Mike Bunce, who uh, you know I coached out at Pearl City when I was there. Uh, Bunce was with us last season and uh, he has come back, which is great. Um, he's a little nicked up last season, so I, I really do expect uh, even better things from him going in. Um, you know, Brendan Moore is another the other player that you mentioned is uh, you know a guy who who played football at Colby actually, um, kind of a kind of a crossover guy. He's you know pretty athletic for a big guy who likes his sevens, and uh, you know he'll be he'll be a, a large part of our second row, um, or excuse me, our back row. So there, uh, I mean, there are a lot of younger American players. I, I would say our team. You know, the average age is probably in the mid in the mid twenties, which is relatively young for a super league team, I would say. Mike, to the, the funny other thing about these guys, uh you the the local American guys, is that when you when you look at the colleges they went to, they weren't exactly rugby powerhouse colleges. And Duran Voto went to Curry College. I don't think they even have a rugby team. Or if they no, if they do, it's really low division and and uh Kyle Marshall, I believe he went to Yale. You know, the, the, they have their good Good years and their bad years, things like that. We're not talking about drawing players from, well, West Point or or if you go further afield, Utah or BYU or anything like that. You're you're getting good college athletes, but they're not they're not top level All American necessarily uh, rugby players. And I wonder, seeing as you've you've been around, you've seen you've seen the different athletes, you've worked in the the age grade national team programs, things like that where these athletes fall in, in terms of what you've seen and, and whether there needs to be a little bit of extra work done on that level or you're just looking for good rugby players and it doesn't really matter? I don't think it really matters. I mean, would we, I mean, obviously, I mean, you mentioned West Point. That's a whole different with their – it is in the Northeast, sure. but, but certainly with their military commitment, those guys are, are really off the board, right? Um, you know, I think the, you know, the college rugby, besides if – you, if you take a hard look at the college rugby in the Northeast – you know, your premier program is Dartmouth. And after that, it, it's, you know, with all due respect, it's kind of everybody else. So I, I think we, you know, we don't necessarily get recruits from the, you know, the Cals or the high-end programs. But that being said, I think we do find some good rugby players who, you know, who ter- who take the time and, and actually end up staying in the Boston area. So, um, you know, I, I think the foundation of our team is a lot of these guys. Well, Mike, that, that's interesting, and I just wanted to talk about some of the things that the Boston Rugby Club has done and is currently doing 
to help the growth of of rugby, like working with Mike Hodgson's with the Northeast and doing some certain things in high schools and uh, coaching over at Boston University with Justin and all those guys. Just can you give us a heads up as to what's going on with you guys as far as development goes? Because it's sure. not just a club. You you do you do more than than play rugby in the Super League. Right, and I think that's one thing we've really tried to. You know, guys like Justin Evans, former Boston players, are kind of scattered through through the New England area with with various programs. You know, we we always try to work very closely with Mike Hodgkins on the Northeast Select side, and really accommodating them in any way we can. Whether it's you know we've been a regular kind of build up game for them, um, and, and try to get involved with those players and help sponsor those. Um, high school rugby, we're we're starting to to really roll into that more. It's probably been a weakness of the club in the past. Um, we started our our first U19 club last summer. Um, numbers were, you know, we're in the 16, 17, 18 range for players, but it, it's really an area that we're looking to grow even even further this coming year. Um, and there's a few there's a few ex Boston rugby players doing some really good work at the youth level. So that's an area that we see that you know where we've probably been a little lax in the past that we really need to uh, really need to ramp up and become more involved in to, uh, number one, help the game, and, you know, number two, help the club in the long run. Mike, I just got a couple more questions. Facilities yep. have always been an issue. and Facilities have sure. been an issue in, in the Super League, obviously. What are right. you guys doing, too? I mean, I know it's difficult in Boston. It's probably the most difficult city to get a quality facility. What are you guys doing in terms of facilities for practicing games, even if you have a couple of marquee games that you play in, in, in a top location? Yeah, it's been it's been really tough, Bruce. And you're right. And you, I think you you know you, you hit the uh, the nail on the head when it comes to how difficult it is in the city of Boston. You know, in last year we actually went out to some high schools in the, all right, a high school in the suburbs that had a nice little stadium, changing rooms, uh, press box, and we're going to go that route again for now. Um, in absence of a, a permanent facility, we're going to you know push out you know 20, 30 minutes outside of Boston uh, to find that high school facility that. Uh, Kind of has everything we need to at least make it a, a good experience for uh, for both teams. Um, Practice-wise, you know, local high schools in the city, under the lights, eight o'clock at night, you know, stuff that most people in the metro areas are used to. Um, but we, we know we have a, a long way to go, and as far as facilities go, but you know, we are trying to take some some positive steps uh, towards uh, securing a better facility for games. Uh- I have one last question, Alex. I know you're going to jump in on this anyway. I I know you're going to jump in on what they're saying. Mike, everybody has issues in the Super League with number of games, competition. What's your vision? What would you like to see? What what would you like to see changed? And I'm sure Alex will jump in because he's got a lot of opinions on it too. And then then we'll close out the interview because we've got to just keep rolling along. Sure. Sure. I mean, um, you know, for for me as a coach – you know, and for the development of my players, I want to see more games. I think you have to balance the economics of that. Um, it's obviously not easy, right? Uh, in a perfect world, we'd play, you know, in the Northeast Mid-Atlantic Conference and have home and away, you know, and get those 10 regular season games. Um, I think in this economic environment, I think the league has been, number one, should be applauded for surviving because it's really on the backs of its membership. You know, there's not a lot of big sponsorships out there. Um Guys are doing it because they love to be part of the game, and uh, you know we're working hard as a, as a league. You know, somebody new to the league over the last couple of years, I have a greater appreciation for that effort that goes in. Um, I would like to see us grow within reason, certainly to add a few teams, um, and, and to really just secure more games that are that are kind of economically well, I, possible. 
I I think that Boston should be applauded because you do have the fall league where you play in the in the New England league to and and the thing about Boston is you actually show up and you play the games and you play good tough games you don't blow them off you don't just go through the motions you actually play which I think is is something that doesn't always happen and I think is is a great thing and f- finally for me Mike just on the on the field what does Boston have to do better what do the players have to do better uh, in terms of their performances. Well, I mean, I think, you know, I think one thing is I think we have to take a step forward. I think, you know, I think physically and talent-wise, you know, you know, we have the potential to be as good as anybody in the league. I think it's it's really getting our handle on the mental part of it um, and, and having that ability to, to finish games and to, and to have that experience to play in the big games. You know, you, you just look at a team like, like Nyack, where Bruce is with, they have that experience. They know how to win the big games. You know, they can grind it out. They can open it up, and I'm hoping that the experience that we had in in the uh, last spring, losing in the semifinal to them, um, was a learning experience for the guys. And uh, you know we can really handle that pressure better next time. Okay, and, uh, well then, you know, Mike the Diamantopoulos wants Boston to be mental, just like Nyack. So that's uh, uh, the, the, the that's the headline there, uh, Mike. There, Mike. <laughs> Excellent. It, it, it was it was all too short an interview, but we really appreciate you coming talk to us. Well, to thanks us. for having me, guys. I really appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks a lot, Mike. And we'll 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 have you back during the season for a more lengthy uh, chat, I'm sure. Anytime, guys. Good luck. Okay, so now our next guest in our series of Super League previews is the head coach of New York Athletic Club, and that is Mike Tolkien. Mike, we already had you on the show a few weeks ago, but. Uh, not talking specifically about your club. So welcome, Mike. Alex, thank you. Always a pleasure to be on. Excellent. Well, obviously, you've got to look at last season uh, with a lot of satisfaction because you, you know, it, you, you won the championship. It was a very exciting game. Probably one of the better, if not the best, Super League game that I'd ever seen in person. I really enjoyed watching that game. But you, you won the championship, and I guess. Where do you go from here? Well, I mean, it was a great game uh, last year. It was a uh, it was a neck and neck game, and we got a break or two, and uh, got a little luck and uh, pulled it out. So that was really rewarding. And uh, you know, the goal for us uh, at this point every season is obviously to to win our division, to get into the playoffs, to to win the whole uh, Super League. You know, and I, I would imagine with the with the teams on the upper echelon of the league, that that's their goal as well. So, uh, you know, it's the same as every other season. We, we take a couple steps back and, you know, we do our thing and prepare ourselves as best we can. But, you know, our, our goals are high and uh, we certainly like to end up that way at the end of the season. Well, you've had some teams that have won championships. You've won three championships and you've had some teams that have come pretty close but didn't win. Is there a difference between those two? Can you can you point to something and say, well, we didn't have we didn't have this, whether it was a you know a really dominant scrum or you know a, a, an outstanding fly half or maybe it was just something to do with team chemistry? Yeah, no doubt about it, Alex. Um, I would say usually the difference is. Uh, that there's a particular position that just didn't work out the way that we thought it would. You know, I, I think overall our guys work really hard. I think, you know, we put a pretty good game plan in order. And, you know, I, I think that we're ready to play ball. But sometimes it comes down to we just don't have uh, a particular position that we, we'd like to be as strong at. And obviously it's usually a, uh, a tactical position. 
you know, whether that's a nine or a 10 or an eight, um, you know, we'd usually do our piece pretty well in the set piece. Um, but I think sometimes it just comes down to tactics um, and executing those, you know, and, and that and that's the difference sometimes. Hey, Mike, we've done quite a bit of recruiting this year, and we've we've also looked at some of the some things that maybe we can improve on from last year. Could you talk, take us through some of the guys who've come in and and some of the you know what you're looking at for some of the players, American wise, who've come through the system, and and uh, foreigners who we brought in this season? Sure. We, uh, you know, we think we've upgraded a bit on the team. And, uh, you know, I think something we learned from after 05 where we kind of tried to get another season with pretty much the exact same players, and that didn't work out too well. Um, you know, everyone, you always need to, to inject something into the team, whether it be one, two, three guys. But I think we did a pretty good job this year um, in filling positions. Um we have, uh, you know, in the forwards, we have uh, a couple of young, real dynamic players. One's an American named Tom Katzvi, second rower from Wisconsin. He was an All-American. He just... Uh, basketball player. Right? Yeah, yeah. Very good, very successful basketball player. He was looking to play a bit in Europe. Um, that would, didn't work out, and he came back here. Played on the Eagles A in the tour to Argentina. Did very well. Um, you know, need some polishing, and uh, but... From all accounts, down there did very well. So you know we're happy to have him aboard. He's a great athlete and a good guy. Lenny Pereira was a guy who kind of fell into our lap. Um, Lenny is an Australian who played with Sydney Uni, and uh, you know was working in New York and coaching with a, a local second division team. And he contacted us, and you know he's been one of our real bright spots, a real positive, hardworking, great pedigree guy. Um, so not only in skill but in, in real positive attitude. Um, in the back line, we, we have a couple of, uh, of guys that we really felt shored up our, our back line and made it a little more exciting. You know, we have uh, Troy Hall and, and Pete O'Brien coming back with us, who were, who were great players, and both of them instrumental in that championship game last year. Uh, and, you know, we're lucky to get uh, Troy Hall's brother, uh, BJ, who's, who's coming in to play with us. And, um, you know, he, he's been playing some good ball over in Australia and uh, – He's uh, he's arrived this month and he'll be playing in our back line next to his brother. And Tim Lenave is another player joining us. Uh, and Tim's had a, a pretty good career in Australia, uh, playing some good level. And he was with Ranwick and played a little bit with the Brumbies and uh, has been in France and Japan. And uh, he's looking for a good experience in New York. And uh, he's been here for a little bit and uh, hoping to make a good new start. Uh, and then we have some real good, exciting young players who really work their way onto the 22 and who see some significant time. Um, we have uh, Steven Nunziato, a local Greenwich product who, who's come up in the local teams and has been with us for two years. Mike Fox, another Greenwich kid, uh, who's also going to be in our back line. He's a fly half fullback. Glenn uh, Fox. Glenn Fox. Glenn Fox. Sorry. Mike Fox is our trainer. <laughs> yes, Mike Fox is our trainer. <laughs> Um, and Curtis Kuntz, who's, uh, had been with Old Blue for a while and was just looking for a little change of scenery. And he, uh, hopefully we'll figure in our, our wing situation. He's a real good ball player, plays some rugby league as well. Um, so we're, we're happy. We have, we have a lot of good old established faces like Troy Bartley's and James Denise, Frank Sharps and Brian Doyle, Connor Coyne. And we have some of these new faces. So, uh, there's, there's a real good attitude on the team and there's a good, good atmosphere and, uh, I think some excitement. Well, what about um, Glenn Fox and, and, the, and the likes of Glenn Fox? 
there, you know, my ears perked up because you talked about a local American guy who could be playing some fly half, and and I think that as we go through the entire league, that it, that continues to be a rarity that your your nine, ten, maybe twelve uh, are often guys from overseas who've had just longer time playing, and therefore the decision making is something that that's attractive to clubs. Right. You, at, at what point do you feel like? Well, I should be. You know, should should you be in the pr- process of developing uh, American players or American eligible players to fill in on that on those spots as well? I, I, I don't. I don't even know if that's really your responsibility. To be honest with you, I don't see it as a responsibility, but to go and make it ha- actively happen. But if there's a person that I see who who can do it, you know, who might be a good candidate. It's really nice to see because, like you said, we don't we don't see that too often. And if we can get someone there and polish them and try to groom them and make them an American ten, that would be great. And that that's kind of what we look at at Glenn, you know. Uh, and, and at the point where one of these young Americans can can take the game by the reins and be in command and execute the, the skills needed for that position, the kicking skills, the leadership, the decision making, and the passing handling skills, then the position's his. And, you know, we'll work on him with those skills. And it would be nice to see. You know, it would certainly be nice to see. Uh, we don't feel an obligation, though, to, to go out and make it happen. You can't, really. Right. And, you know, to put a, to put a square into a circle, it's just it's not going to happen. But like you said, it, it certainly it's great to see. And if we can make it happen where, where there's possibility, that would be really rewarding. It would be great to see. And, you know, we've had we've had Mikey here at number nine, Mike Petrie, and that's been great to see. And. You know, I feel a couple of these guys can play center, and we've had Tim Ryland, who's done a great job at center over the last few years, and Stephen Nunziato is filling in really well uh, at center and is a sharp player who we feel confident in in a, in a Super League game or a big game. So uh, we're happy with that, and like you said, it, it is good for the game. I, I think it would be a little bit remiss to not talk about Seth Cohen and Nick Descala, who've really stepped up and come off of our – B-side into our A-side to they'll probably be players who get a, a lot of time with us. But off of that, Mike, NYAC is going to change things about the way they operate, probably be a little bit less uh, – probably play a little bit more dynamic style. Can you talk us about that a bit, that you know we, we feel we have the players that perhaps we can uh, expand expand the game a bit? Yeah, I think uh, you know the, certainly in the back line we feel like we have a little bit more of a threat um, – and we could open the game up a little bit more. You know, in the past, we've, we've certainly had good ball players, but maybe have been uh, a little less dimensional than we've had than we have this year. So we're going to try to open things up a little bit, you know, and, and not, not become res- irresponsible and, and throw the ball everywhere, every which way. Um, you know, our hallmark has always been, you know, a solid game and, and executing our, our fundamentals and maybe even a little on the cautious side, but. We'll open it up a little bit and, and give it a try and see how it goes. I think it's fun. I think the players like it. And I think I just think that we're capable of making good decisions and tactically and skillfully executing them. So we'll see how we go in the next four weeks, five weeks leading up to the season. And if we can if we can do it, we'll do it. If we need to rein it in a little bit, then so be it. Your set pieces are still always going to be solid, though. Right. Yeah, that's – I mean, that that is something that we never compromise on, and we put a lot of work in and – you know, and Bruce certainly has done a great job, and, and and our other coaches up front with the scrum, with the lineup, and that's where we, you know, nothing else, no, nothing else can happen. I mean, you could say it a million times, it's a cliche, but it's true. It all starts up front, 
and we we never lose sight of that. I will never remember the never forget. Sorry, the 2008 final when uh, Nyack had a had a penalty and stood there for a few seconds trying to decide what to do. And there's Bruce yelling across the field, "Take the expletive line out." Had to t- say it about uh, four or five times before they heard him, and everyone in the stadium heard him. But apparently, the players were just. Uh, a little bit nonplussed at that time, but maybe, maybe they did, maybe they just tuned me out because it was yeah, that could be. Real. I think Alex, after five months, uh, three days a week of hearing similar, kind of blended in. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It just it it just was part of the white noise. So, My, Mike, I just want you know, can you tell us? There's there's been a bunch of guys who've come through the system on the 19 system, seven system, high school and college system. Can you just tell, give us a list of some of the players. Who've come to Tom Catsby's dad was the actually the president of the Wisconsin Rugby Union for many years, and he started playing in high school. But there's been a bunch of guys on our team. Because this will be our last question before we wrap up. We're gonna move on to another guest, but uh, we do appreciate that. I just want to the importance of people who come through the system. Everybody thinks the Super League guys don't bring guys through the system, and I, that's just not true. No, no, it isn't. And um, you know, I can speak for our team. Uh, best but you know i see it around the league just knowing being familiar with these guys but from our team you know we've had tim ryland we've had pip justin hunley we've had mike petry frank sharp richie white uh connor coin andrew Lindsay. um you know there's, there's so many more guys uh mctiernan um you know and, and seth pascal has been on maccabee team uh you had mentioned him before troy bartley was an all-american and just there, there are so many guys who have come through the system, whether it be high school, m- many more now high school, but college, All-American, um, the sevens program with uh, Justin Hunley. Um, we really have had a good amount of guys come through, and I think I think a lot of the good clubs have done as well. And on our, our last show, we had talked about after that old Puget Sound Nyack game, there were a number of guys on both sides who came through the high school All-American program. Um, and, and it does indeed happen. It certainly happens quite a bit on our team. Well, excellent. Uh, Mike Tolkien, thank you very much for taking uh, the time to talk to us a little bit about uh, New York Athletic Club, and best of luck for the season. Thanks a lot, Alex. Always uh, always a pleasure, like I said, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to you during the, during the season. Thanks, Thanks a lot. lot. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Okay, so our next guest is Paul Keeler, who is the Director of Rugby at San Francisco Golden Gate. And uh, welcome to the show, Paul. Uh, obviously, the number one thing we want to talk about, well, the number one thing I want to talk about is, Paul, it was a difficult ending to the season because you, you, you had such a great season and you move into the final. You lost a very close game to New York Athletic Club, a uh, very exciting game, but it was a tough loss for you guys. Uh, what did you take out of that game and that season for that matter? Oh, I think we just, you know, we looked at the the final you know, looked for our mistakes and, and like any, any good team does. And, and, and the way we really looked at it, it was that, it, you know, yeah, we made some, you know, simple mistakes in defense right at the end of the game that we needed to fix. But overall, the way we see it, you know, Nyack won the game and we can't take that. Everyone, yeah, we might've been the favorite. We had such a great season, but at the end of the day, they came in and, and won the game. They took that, you know, they took that away, so to speak. And, and that's credit to them. It's not necessarily a slight on us, and that's how we we uh, we look at it. But, it, but yeah, it, it which makes sense. And not to take anything away from Nyack, 
but you also were dealing with a bunch of injuries. We saw uh, Johnny Nagika leave the field in that final. Uh, Mile Pulu hurt himself in that final. Uh, I know uh, Albert Tuipilotu had a pretty heroic performance, but he was beat up as well. What's the status of of those guys? And, and going forward into this season, are you are you a bit tested in your depth because of those injuries? Or do you have uh, – are you filling in pretty well? Well, we definitely – you know, that was probably one of our takeaways is that, you know, we needed to try to find some more depth. And, we're, no, we're not going to have Johnny back this year. And Mele just had surgery. We hope to get him back in the next couple of weeks. Um, and Albert, due to, you know, a couple of things, uh, probably won't be out until towards the end of the season. Um, but we definitely looked at sort of our injuries and said, number one, how can we reduce them? So we brought a strength and conditioning uh, coach on board in, in Simon Fathers, uh, who works with Athletes Performance out of Arizona. So he, he's come in, and we've really looked at how we're training the guys and, and uh, you know, what they're eating and, you know, all that whole sort of uh, that, that, that world that uh, strength and conditioning coaches get into. You know, we've got the players training, you know, three, four times a week now. So it's a really good environment. It's as close to a – professional environment as you're going to get in an amateur game i think um but well there's 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 no reason that you you shouldn't do that uh, right. just 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 because oh you say well, we're we're an amateur club and we're just a club and why should we why, why should we have our own uh trainer or start wor- working on nutrition isn't well why not oh absolutely and you know we've yeah. invested we've redone our gym and done, done a whole bunch of things so um it's been really good. And I think it's, it's, you know, a lot of the culture has changed as well. And with it, you know, there's some young players who are in the Bay area, Supeti Sakalia, Niori Drew, and Patrick Latu, who's a U.S. Uh, under 20. These guys have come in and that's, that's really what we want. We, you know, we're trying to get the young quality players, you know, like Emile Pulu was to come in and, and bolster our ranks from, from other teams in the area. Well, so you've got, you've got a few people coming in locally uh, from from either either up from your your Colts and your under nineteen program, but also East Palo Alto, for example, places like that. Yeah. Um, so, but who, who do you have that are uh, coming in from overseas? If if you have anybody, or, or or coming in from from farther afield in the USA? Yeah, uh, we have a couple of new players. Uh, obviously, like you said, I mean our our Colts program has been great. So a number of those guys are coming through the system. But we also have uh, Steve Green, who used to play for the Wasps uh, under Nigel Melville, married an American, moved here. So uh, we're looking to add him to the ranks. We added Steve St. Pierre, obviously a BYU graduate and former All-American. But really for us, it's been that Colts program. We've seen a lot of young guys, Cameron Collier, Owen Sheeran, uh, Sean and Will Cody. Um, you know, I can, I, the list goes on and on, you know. Uh, Jacob Nelson, a number of guys who have just come in, and and we've really grown and and tried to produce a development program. Well, that's the key that we're seeing in a lot of clubs, though, is that you can't just rely on grabbing a player from here or there, whether it's a player from a a big name college or or somebody from overseas. You have to develop from within. You've got to have uh, under nineteen program helps. Uh, you need some kind of lower division, whether it's a you call it the Colts, but other teams have Division Two or something like that. You've got to develop those guys who are local who want to play because they're the backbone of the club, aren't they? Absolutely, and you know we have our whole development program, you know, ri- actually ri- written down, 
And it's all about that cycle. And I think it's the one failing that you see in the league a bit and you see around the country with U.S. rugby is there's a huge disconnect at every level. And we've tried to find a way to unite all those levels and really put it into a cycle. So, you know, a player will start here at five years old, play all the way up through, you know, under eights, under tens, under twelves, under fourteens now get into high school, we'll hopefully get them into a college, which I spent most of today writing to these coaches, where they go off, play in a college, and then hopefully come back, play men's club rugby, get done, coach, referee, give back to the club. You know, and, and once teams start to do that, that's when clubs start to grow, and that's what we've really seen here more than anything is that keeping that cycle going and getting people back into the game who are out of it and keeping them in the game once they're in it. So you want to... You want to develop the local, the local angle, but at the same time, there's nothing wrong with having some overseas players. And and I guess the the big thing that you don't want to do is just that one and done, where somebody shows up, plays three months, and disappears, and you never really got anything out of it, except they played well for you. Absolutely. I mean, we really don't we don't like to do that. You you know, you do it in an extreme circumstance where you go out and you look. But even when we bring a player in, out of necessity because we, we don't have it locally or the player's not ready or whatever the reason may be, you know, we really like for that guy to want to stay around but and grow roots and all that sort of stuff. Because you have to remember that, you know, the game of rugby in America since the 60s when it, the resurgence, of, I guess, of American rugby, you know, was pretty much built by foreign foreigners and crossover athletes, which is what we really all are. While we're not former NFL players, if you look at any – all those college teams that started in this, you know, the clubs that I played for, you, you know, were from Buffalo Old Boys were UB alumni, Old Blue right. Columbia alumni, and those were all former footballers, American footballers, with a couple of friends who were foreigners, got them, you know, running with the ball, having fun, and and that's the resurgence of rugby, and, and we can't forget that and and become uh, anti-foreign because that's that's just not the way we see it, and. Uh, you, you try to embrace everybody because that's what rugby does. It takes the good, the bad, and the ugly, and, and they all find a home. Right. And the other thing that's been interesting uh, that strikes me as interesting about all of that is the idea, the, the, the assumption people make when they see a, a Polynesian name is that they assume that this is somebody who's from outside the United States. There's nothing wrong with somebody moving to the United States wherever they're from, but a lot of these people, um, uh, like uh, Okusi and 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 you know, uh, Mile Pulu for that matter, these these are Californian kids. These are these are local kids. They're the they're the children or grandchildren of people who emigrated to the United States. Absolutely. I mean, those are great examples. I mean, you look at Opeta Opeti and uh, Tevito Okusi. These these two guys are from Oakland. You know, they they have yeah, more in right. common with inner city kids than they do. You know, with with uh, Polynesian kids, as far as you know, the culture they were brought up in. Another great example are Maka Maka Tamalau, who's in our academy program, and David Tamalau, his older brother, who played for the U20s. You know, they're they're American kids, just with strange sounding names. You know, and uh, and that's the future, really. When you think about it, they're tremendous athletes who grew up with the game of rugby, who love the game of rugby. It's in their family, it's in their history, it's in their culture. And the Bay Area and different cities, you know, you got Provo and Seattle where there's, you know, these little hubs of Polynesian players. Hawaii, there's a 
you know, pretty, sure. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. There's tremendous athletes there, and, and we just need to see that these programs grow and, and continue. I think you see a lot of family support, too. Absolutely. Don't you? All yeah. you have to do is come to a SFGG a U19 versus Hayward, and you'll see – <laughs> you'll see tons and and there's great respect amongst you know uh, a lot of these programs and that's one of the things we've always tried to do you know we had an extra scrum machine we gave that to the san mateo u19 program we've always tried to keep good roots um you know with these polynesian communities because you know, you know unfortunately they're they're not always in in the greatest neighborhoods and there's gang related stuff and and so we've always tried to reach out where we could and help those programs all right, good. Well, looking ahead to actually not only just developing your players, but also what's on the field, uh, you had a great season two seasons ago, won the Super League. Uh, last year made the final, lost in, in basically just at the end of the game. So there's, maybe there's not much to change, or maybe there is. I don't, I don't know. Do, do you, are, are you changing anything in terms of your coaching approach or pattern of play or, or how you approach the game? Uh, given given that I mean, you don't want to fix something that's not broken. Well, I mean, the way we see it, you know, we're not going to surprise anybody. There's a lot of film on us out there, you know, and we do have new players. So what we try to do is figure out what our strengths are, you know, so play to your strengths and hide your weaknesses. We are obviously going to look to do some some new things to add, you know, add some confusion to other teams. But the way uh, the way I coach and the way we play with the athletes we have, we really try to have a simple pattern of play. You know, we I've said it many times, but we play two pass rugby in everything we do, and we try to teach them the principles of the game, especially within the pattern, because it lets their athleticism come out, and they're able to understand what they need to do based on the game. They understand possession and go forward and continuity and and uh, support you know, and learn how to take out defenders with running lines in support, not just to get the ball and, and to put themselves in a position, if there is a break, to be two passes away from finishing it rather than just trying to finish it yourself or be that man gets right. the pass to finish. We work very hard in doing that, and it really lets their athleticism come out and and. You know, I, I you know the joke that we use, it, you know, we describe it as uh, Lama Lama San Francisco rugby, where it looks like we're flinging the ball around, doing great, <laughs> but it's all within our pattern. It's just we are we're we're putting ourselves in the position to do that stuff, to make good things happen out of what seems like you know unprescribed play. Are you? Uh, do you struggle then to harness that athleticism and and and? adhere to a pattern of play at certain times absolutely not and in fact you know you, you would think that you know the you know based on sort of uh you know i guess prejudice would be the word um you would you would think that the polynesian players who have this reputation for you know for playing not playing in a system they're right. actually the biggest ones you know like mose timoteo hey why are you doing that that's not in our system that's not how we play Johnny Nakika is a great example of that. He's like, where, where is that in our system? You'll hear these guys say that all the time. Basically, in what we're trying to do, we try to teach them a common language of, mm -hmm. of, of San Francisco Golden Gate language, and uh, and that gets them to communicate. And from there, they can they can do anything they need to do. Great.
Okay. Well, it's uh, it, it's going to be very interesting to see how things uh, come together. You do have a couple of injuries. You do have a couple of players coming back, and, and you're working on folding in some younger players and some new players, so it should be interesting. One last question before we let you go, and that is uh, you look at the schedule. Is there any is there any game that jumps out at you as perhaps your biggest test, the one that you really need to uh, to be ready for? No, uh, you know yeah. it's it's a tough it's a really tough uh, it's a tough year it's a shortened year you know we played Dallas twice we play Utah twice you you don't know who they are what they are uh, how they're going to be um, you think they'll be pretty good you don't know when you put together an all star team doesn't mean they play like an all star team. Um, but they could be fantastic. And you look at Seattle's right. been doing well. You, you just don't know. And you, and everyone seems to forget about Denver. You know, they're a very good coach. They've had very good players. You know, they might have lost a player or two, but, you know, I have tremendous respect for Jason Kelly. So it's really tough to say one game. You know, for us, we, we always take one game at a time. And we just look to uh, – we just, we just want to make the playoffs, hopefully have home field advantage – in a shortened year, you know, it, it, as far as the league goes, it's frustrating to have this this many few games. But at least we're starting to see the teams who are in the league, they have a venue. They're starting, you know, the, as a whole, the teams in the league are really starting to, much like we are, respect the fact that we have a product, that we have faith in our product. You know, we charge admission at all of our games because we feel – and it was one of the things when I came here, we wanted to play a fun style of rugby that was fun to play and fun to watch and entertain people. We never – it was always a goal. And we're starting to see teams actually say, hey, wait a second. There is value in coming to watch us play. And you're starting to see better and better games. You know, that the Life semifinal and the, and the NIAC final, they were both here. And I know people walked away from that Life final and – I don't know how many people said, can I get tickets for the final? As soon as that game was over, this was great. It was fantastic. Can I get tickets for the final? So, you know, for us as a club, that's exciting. And to have that many people yeah. at both, you know, between both games, uh, we probably had over 4,000 people, which is nothing, you know, total between the two weekends, which is nothing compared to professional sports. But for a club rugby game in America, you know, that final when you had 2,000-plus people there and youth out there. I mean, even though we lost, it was an absolutely fabulous day for the club. It was a fabulous day, you know, for the for Super League Rugby. The only thing that was missing was, uh, you know, better media coverage other than the people like you who already do it. Well, well, we'll still be here. <laughs> and, you know, it's a very good point about the, the not only the venues but – um, putting some value into what you do, and, and perhaps then everybody treats it with with more care and respect. So that's a, a good thing. Uh, uh, Paul Keeler, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk to us, and uh, best of luck with San Francisco Golden Gate in the coming season. I appreciate it, Alex. It's always a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thanks. All right. Well, our next guest on Rugged Matrix is the head coach of the Chicago Griffins, Wes Parks, and the Chicago Griffins. Uh, perhaps in one sense a little bit more the, the overlooked club in Chicago, a little bit less high profile than the Lions, but they've done pretty well for themselves and made the playoffs last year. And so, Wes, welcome to the show. Thanks, Alex. Great to be here. Well, yeah, tell well, us a little, oh, sorry, 
I was going to say welcome to the show, Wes. These are, <laughs> the, the Chicago Griffins knocked us out of the playoffs in '07. I remember it was it was a uh, we got the snot kicked out of us. It was a humiliating defeat in front of a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, but it was a great great season. It was the Griffins inaugural season, and they had they had gone and been a semifinal team and lost to Chicago by three points in the semi, and Chicago lost to Belmont on the bell. So, good team there. Well, Wes, tell us a little bit about last season and moving into this season. Uh, part of what happened for you last season was the, uh, the, the disbanding of the Pearl City Club in, in Iowa and how some of those players went to play for the Griffins. And how did you slot those guys in and, and wh- whether there was a, a team-building challenge there? And, and how do the guys look in terms of unity, in terms of... Uh, um, a single purpose going forward. Yeah, well, we were fortunate enough out of that Pearl City team to get Andrew Sinula and Kiki Misipeka, and uh, they formed our midfield, which is where we were weak. Um, we needed some strengthening up there, so I guess their loss was our gain, and um, we've managed to hang on to Andrew. Kiki's gone back to Samoa, but Andrew Sinula is still with us, and... Um, you know, he's become a great asset, a well-liked guy, and obviously being an eagle, uh, well-respected, very good rugby player. And um, he's committed to the Griffins again this season, so we're very happy to have him. And he brings a lot more than just his playing ability to a club like this too because he's a very experienced player in the national uh, the rugby league competition in Sydney in Australia, which is reputedly one of the toughest rugby league competitions in the world. And he's represented Manly out of that competition um, in the past. And so he's vast experience and he, he's actually a very nice guy. He has a great nature and a great way about him in that he can actually deliver a lot of that knowledge to the group. And so he's an asset not only as a player, but he brings coaching ability and knowledge to the squad as well, which has benefited not only the players, but me as well. I've learned a lot off the guy too. So... um I think that's one of the things about guys with you know of that ilk coming into American rugby is that they they offer so much more than just playing in terms of perhaps their knowledge that they can pass on to American players, which in turn helps make nationally based American players better as well. Wes, you're kind of a fitness expert, and you know how do you take that into the team? How do you build you know your and I'm not going to say that the players are all living your lifestyle, but how do you put how do you portray that lifestyle and try to get the guys to live that? And also, what do you do to help them to become as fit as you know as you would like them to be? And I, and I know that that's your uh, you know your real passion in life is not only rugby but um, fitness and performance. Sure, I think you know. It's something I admire about the guys that play for this club, and I can't speak for other clubs, although all I can you know, imagine is that, is that it's the same across the board. These guys all work hard, and you know that yourself, Bruce, with the players you're involved with, and some of these guys work at the jobs with huge hours, and so those sorts of guys find it tough um, to do the extra stuff that's necessary to develop your game and, and be on top of it come, you know, when the whistle goes. So 
I think all you can do really is try and set a good example and do your best to bring them together as often as possible as a team because it's, you know, not just about the individual sessions that they do, it's about that, you know, bonding and going through some adversity as a group, training, that's important as well. Um, so two things, I think, you, you can just encourage them to do it and, you know, keep an eye on it, keep in touch with them and provide them with the tools that they need um, in terms of specific exercises that shore up their weaknesses and enhance their strengths, because we all have them, um, so that when they do go out on their own and the minimum amount of time that some of these guys have, they can actually maximise that time and get the biggest bang for their buck. Well, Wes, what are some of the, who are some of the players that you are bringing into the team uh, some of the newer faces that we might see in the lineup this year. Well, you've got Andrew back um, back in the back line there, so you know he's he's going to be prominent as an eagle in World Cup year. He he needs to have a big year, and he knows that, and he's setting himself up right now to do that and and maximise his opportunity as a professional sports person to you know make sure that his career carries on. Um, We've a, a young lock in Graham Harriman who came to us last year um, at, at actually at the end of the Super League, but prior to the fall, who I met at the Midwest All Stars camp, which I was fortunate enough to be involved with last year. Um, he's come through in the fall and he's made you know big strides in his game, and not only in his game in terms of his training ethic and he's living semi-professionally set himself up here in Chicago uh, with work and accommodation and he's taken a job which allows him to you know get himself in the physical shape necessary so he's sort of living um, as a semi-type professional player he's a second row guy and I was impressed with how he applied himself in the fall and he's a national player who's um, who's come through collegiate level. He was at the collegiate camps in Denver last year. Um, he's, uh, he has Luke Gross as a mentor. And so culturally, he's immersed himself in rugby and he loves it. Not only that, he's, he's made his own personal investment to go down to South Africa and participate in the Sharks Academy down there to make improvements in his game and knowledge and physicality. So he's a guy that we're happy to have in the ranks as well and um, his enthusiasm for rugby and the way he goes about um, you know perhaps his professionalism that might be beyond his years is quite inspirational to other guys in the squad even guys that have been around a while um, we also have a guy in the club Sean Cooney who has done recruitment for the club for a long time now and he's as he's become more experienced at that He's really built up quite a good network to the stage where this year he's done quite a, you know, a very good job, in my opinion, of bringing some experience in, but also a balance of youth as, as well. So he has some contacts into collegiate level where he's been able to bring in a brace of young players as well. And most of those young players are promising backs that have a bit of collegiate experience, again, who love the game and they want to become part of a club, a progressive club, and, you know, take up the challenge to try and put themselves up to making, let's say, a Super League squad or, 
you know, perhaps as a stepping stone, um, the Kafu Cup competition, which would be perhaps for a year, um, a good stepping stone for them to be able to, you know, close the gap between that and Super League. And the gap is pretty huge, and they acknowledge that. Um, as far as guys that he's been able to bring in um, from overseas, uh, the network we have as a club, guys have come here and played and gone back to where they came from. So internationally, Sean has quite a good network there. And through one of those guys, he's been able to actually contact a couple of guys from a club in Perth. They've been playing first grade in Perth down there, um, a first five and a half back. And um, there's a number eight from Perth also who's a Western Australian rep age grade. So um, he's been playing a little bit of overseas rugby in Italy. And we like that too. Culturally, I think the Griffins um, have a culture of you know, bringing guys in that you might say are rugby gypsies. So we kind of like the, the like the look of the number eight guy who's been playing in Italy because um, he'll bring a little bit of international flavour to us as well. So um, we're looking forward to go, you know, embracing those guys as they arrive over the next few days and we get them into the system. Wes, who, do, do you know any, um, could you, Name some of the guys who came, maybe came out of the collegiate system then, and some of the people that you've met and some of the kids who come out of the high school system. Pete, we've been trying to promote a lot of the players who've kind of come through the USA program. I know you had your one gentleman there who is, is a real promising guy, but some of the guys you got coming through, who may not, they may not get full first-side time and they may be on the bench or they may be role players. But some of the kids who've come through who are a little bit younger, and who are the who are the guys that you got from Western Australia? If you got their names off the tip of your tongue, yeah. or, or that kind of thing, yeah, I, people love hearing their name on podcasts. I'll tell you that <laughs> they love reading their names in, in 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 articles, and they love all that kind of pictures, all that stuff. At least on my team, <laughs> number eight guy Glenn Edwards is his name. He's come out of a, a club in Perth. Western Australia. He's played up through some Western Australian representative age group sides. And then there's a guy, uh, these guys are actually both New Zealanders, but they play their club rugby in Perth. Curtis McLean, he's a halfback, and Carl Harding, who's a 10. That's actually funny because BJ Hall, who's coming to us, is a New Zealander who played his rugby in Western Australia as well. So it is pretty – maybe we're all tapping Western Australia for a bit. That's uh, Troy Hall's brother, and he was coming in. He had never played with his brother, so that was a, kind of a big deal for, for him. So I think that that's probably a good area for us to attack because, you know, you, you can get some good players out of there, and, and, and we play probably a similar level as they do over there. Sure. I, and I, I guess it's the same for you, Bruce, in that, you know, you, you've built up an international network as well through different players that have come and go, and that's how it works. And I think that's a wonderful thing about rugby around the world is that it's a universal language. And do you have any of the, you have any other kids who are coming through um, through the age grades? You know, like, you know, I know you got Charlie Jacobson who's been there for ages and ages, and is, is Mike Mangan coming back, or is there any... Anything that you anything going on with some of the American players? Mike Mangan actually hasn't played here for 
four seasons, I don't think, Bruce. No, so, I know he's been in Denver. I didn't know yeah, if he was going to yeah. come back. And, um, yeah. No, we, we've got some young guys coming through out of collegiate uh, level rugby, and Sean's been able to recruit these guys out of a, a college called Wheaton College. And these guys, they've come from, one of them's come through from Singapore. His parents, I think, work out of Singapore, but he's here for a little while to attend that college. And um, he's actually earned himself selection, I, I believe, on the Singapore uh, Singapore 7 selection. So he's an exciting player as a young guy. He's 19. Um, we've got a guy who's worked under Dan Payne as a, an out-half when Dan was in, I believe, was at San Diego. Um, so he knows a bit about rugby as a young fella having tutelage from a guy the calibre of Dan. Um, he's come through from a collegiate level. His name's Ryan O'Connor. And we've got two other young guys. Matt Ferrance is, uh, you know, quite a utility player. He can play in the centres or loose forward. And I think that's a great thing at 19 that you haven't actually made up your mind where you want to play. But he, he has a skill set and a size and shape about him that would suit 13 or 7. Um, and he's, he's really promising. Big guy, and we got a guy, Adam Pennington, came out of the same system, um, who's an ex-pro track athlete. And so, you know, again, even though this guy's young, he's going to have a platform for be able to pass on the skills that he has as a, as a track star in terms of helping this club with their speed work. So it's uh, it's a good thing we drag all these guys in from and um, blend them all together and use their skill sets to help benefit everybody else that, you know, some of whom have been around for a long time. Wes, it seems like you're making those choices on, on in terms of some of these players to to recruit based partly on their mental makeup. Um, I think Sean, Sean, you know, he's been a griffin for many years and he's played rugby down in New Zealand. And I think that's where that comes from, Alex, more than coming from me although Sean knows perhaps more about my mentality than most in the club because we are you know, fairly heavily involved together. But um, I'm not sure that it's a criteria, but I think that Sean, in knowing that, is searching out guys that do have a little bit of, you know, not only mental toughness, but also a skill set where he can see at that young age that they would benefit the club long term. So we, you know, we're looking. I think, I think we're looking. You know, what I'd like to say is, you know, I know the Griffins are all inclusive. They always have been. Um, they've embraced everybody and will always embrace everybody as as rugby people. But um, I think Sean's focused in pretty well on quality with these guys. I think, Alex, one of the things we were talking about before, especially with Diamantopoulos, was that you don't have to have a massive pedigree to have big success in the Super League. I think you saw that with the AC team. You see it with Golden Gate. You see it with Boston. And you see it now with the Griffins. And I'm sure we're going to see it with a lot of teams because a lot of Super League teams don't have access to the guys going to the top colleges. And a lot of times guys who go to the top colleges – they work their butts off in college, and they get, you know, sometimes they're a little bit sick of rugby when they get out. Yeah, and yeah. 
you kind of need a mix. And some of the guys who come out of the schools where they maybe were the chief cook and bottle washer and did everything and had to, you know, be, be all and end all, that they come to a club and, and when they, when they can get into a role playing situation, they, they really excel and, and they understand their role within the team and they have a lot of fun with it in the last three or four, maybe sometimes five years. And, and, and conver- conversely, you've got players who might have had an awful lot of things done for them. And then they show up in club, and it's very, very different. The the facilities are different, and the responsibilities are different. And they may just say, you know, this is that's not what I expected. It's it's a bit of a shock to them. So it, it, you can, uh, and I, I think Wes, you might uh, agree with this. You you can develop somebody who's an uh, an ideal club player who went to a small college because he had to work so hard to play, and he, he had to do everything himself that he he continues to do that when he comes into the club environment. Yeah, you you just said it there, Bruce, that it can be a shock, and I heard one of our young guys say exactly those words last night after training, and um, there's another young guy that we've got onto. I actually met at the Midwest camp last year as well. His name's Adam Church, and he's a halfback, and I believe he's on the USA under-20 squad, the the, the greater squad, the under-20 squad, and... Um, you know, him and I were doing a bit of extra stuff after training last night, and he said it to me that he's actually shocked at um, at the pace and the physicality, and not only that, but the expectation level of not only myself as a coach, but the fellow players, the players that have had a bit of experience at Super League level that know, um, you know, perhaps through some harsh lessons, that it is about how you deal with pressure and pace and physicality and error level and so psychologically even trainings become physically and psychologically tough when you're aspiring to that level and also you're you're training with players that not only have aspired to it but have achieved it and and uh had you know debatable success at it so um one of the things that I that I was able to, you know, talk to him about was that, you know, he'd made comments like, when I was in, you know, college at this place, this is how we did it. And, you know, I said to Adam, look, it's a whole new ball game now. Um, And when you weigh in with the things that you've just said about the increase in pace and physicality and things, all you have to do is learn how to perform what you've done for a few years in those environments more physically and at a faster pace. So it doesn't get more complicated, it just gets tougher. What are some of the things that you're looking at doing, uh, perhaps changing or adjusting for this season based on your experiences from last season? And you know, obviously your goal would be you'd want to go deeper into the playoffs, get a, uh, uh, have a, a, a more consistently good performance each week. One of the things, you know, when I came here, Alex, you know, I, I came here not only to learn as a coach and develop as a coach, but also to perhaps be able to offer something to USA Rugby as well from my own experience as a coach down in New Zealand. And, you know, it might be revelationary um, to, to people involved in USA Rugby, but there's an awful lot more emphasis placed on set piece now in rugby all over the world but especially in the US, um, and I've found also in coaching in Ireland the same thing. 
um, than there is down in New Zealand. And New Zealand um, players, they want to play the game. They want to run with the ball and they want to make a step and they want to dummy and they want to take players on physically um, in phase play more than I've found other nations do. And so I think that's the big difference for me is that in Super League there's an awful big emphasis on set piece and so that's been a realisation for us that we have to pay attention to that and get better at it. And we can't play rugby at the wrong end of the field. Um, so you've got you've to hunt for territory. And, you know, we knew this before the, the quarterfinal last year. And, you know, we, we knew more about it after, obviously. And it was something we talked about was both of those things that you've got to win your set piece and you've also got to have some territorial superiority. And we knew that life were going to put us under that sort of pressure prior to the game. But that was one of the things that after the game, even knowing it, we were able to confirm that we have to get better at both of those things at a club, as a club, to be able to make that next step and, and go beyond perhaps a quarterfinal berth. What is it, uh, if you were to be the head of the Super League tomorrow morning. What would be your um, what would be your goal for the Super League? What are you happy with? What are you unhappy with? And you can't resign. Oh no, like that's <laughs> not even on my mind. I mean, as a coach, you, you might you you never think about resigning, but you often think you're going to get fired. <laughs> but um, to answer your question, Bruce, you know, I'd like to see more teams in it, and I've seen it being a restless. Um, schedule or perhaps a, reg, a, a restless roster of clubs and you know it saddens me because I think it's a great competition and I understand some of the things that ail it, one of the biggest ones obviously being expense although I'm not convinced after spending a fall travelling around you know the Midwest playing other first division sides that playing in first division would be less expensive so I just think logistically America's such a huge country and the distances you have to travel to get quality rugby are going to be vast no matter what competition you play in. So I'd like to see more games and in saying that obviously you have to understand that you know we're influenced by climate and time changes and things in this country that aren't big issues in other countries. So there's an awful lot of considerations but I do think we could have an expanded competition with more games and, you know, if the if the powers that be could put their heads together and make that happen, I do know, you know, certainly as a spokesman for the players, some of our guys are paying dues on, you know, for example, I think our Super League um, round of games, the preliminary rounds is six games. So you do an awful lot of training for a narrow window of rugby and somehow I'd like to you know, optimistically feel like we could double that and push it out to 12 games. And, you know, I know in New Zealand, clubs are playing 28, 28, 30 games. So to come to a place where you play six is a shock um, because if you have three pre-season matches, that's nine. And nine's not even nearly enough, really, because you see so much development in these guys over a period of six, eight, nine weeks that if you could turn that into 12 or 15, I think would really help USA Rugby across the board get better. Because six weeks, you're only just 
reaching the tip of the iceberg and some of the, the improvements you see. Whereas if you could have another you know, period of five or six weeks on that, you'd get over the hump and you'd come down the other side with more experienced players because then you break off. There's no rugby then for months and you come back for the fall season and the fall season's very different. The incentives are different. Some guys don't play. So, you know, in some ways it's an advantage because you get to use a different group of players in some respects and put a lot of time and effort into them and develop them so you create depth and competition within your club with the fall season. But it's so just disjointed, it's quite hard to bring that that together, you know. So that's a long answer to your question. Short answer is more games. Yeah, another preaching to the Alice Scott <laughs> Another vote for more games. Anyway, Wes, it was wonderful talking to you. Thank you, and good luck this season, except in game one. Um, Same to you, Bruce. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it. You know, every game, that, that's such a tight competition. There's no room for, for dropping a match, and uh, so it's intense, and, and you like that, I like that, and the players we work with like it as well, so I'm excited. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a good season. It is. Great. Well, Wes, thank you very much. Thanks uh, for taking the time to talk to us, and uh, best of luck going forward. Thank you. Same to you guys. Anytime. Excellent. All right, mate. Take care. And that was uh, uh, that was Wes Parks from the Chicago Griffins uh, stepping in with our Super League preview, and Bruce McLean. I think that wraps up our first half of this uh, set of set of preview interviews and I'm curious as to what you think about some of the things that we've uh, heard and talked about I think that it's going to be an interesting I think the competition is going to be interesting we haven't gotten all the teams in the east I, I just I don't see any easy games in the east whereas it used to be that you kind of knew who you kind of can bank on winning a couple games here and there, and that's now that the Chicago teams are with us, and yet you have Lifeful Blue, New York AC, Boston, Chicago Lions, and Chicago Griffins, that it becomes incredibly difficult to win. And that now that there's only a semifinalist and a finalist, that you really, as Wes says, you cannot afford to drop a game. So no. you really have to be. You got to be on your game, and you got to you got to be ready to play. Well, I I, th- I think that the 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 squeezing of this league to just eleven teams certainly has left it highly competitive. And you look at the the East, the Blue, New York Athletic Club. I I don't know if Nyack's improved, but they're not really worse, significantly worse than they were last year. Life is uh, you know maybe the same. Boston's improved. Oh, Blues improved. Lions have probably improved. Griffins have improved. So there's just squeezes that there's there there's no wiggle room. And you mentioned you can't afford to lose a game. And the other thing I think of is if you're on the road, especially if you are losing a game, you have to put everything you have into those final 15, 20 minutes to at least get a try bonus point and a close loss bonus point. And you can't come out of a game with no points whatsoever. That's a huge problem. Yeah, there's no doubt. On on the road, on the road, you got to get your bonus points. Um, actually, you got to win on the road. And, and yeah, in order do. to win the competition, you got to be able to win on the road. And 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 while there's a lot of negatives to playing on the road, there's actually a lot of positives to playing on the road. You don't have any distractions of life. You just kind of go and you play. So it 
in in some ways with these guys it's easier to perform on the road i wonder if you if you did a study on how often players are late to a game and by late i mean they didn't they didn't show up on time for pregame meeting and training uh how often they're late to a game on the road as opposed to um as opposed to at home and i would imagine that the distractions at home if you're just driving to the field and then you know suddenly your kid throws up and first thing in the morning and you got a bunch of stuff to take care of um you know players can be you know racing into the parking lot a little bit late whereas when you're on the road it's just simply a case of everybody's together um if you're not flying you know not flying uh, uh standby everybody's together and they you know, well, there, there is a sense of calm that comes with knowing that all your players are there, knowing who's going to be there, and being able to visualize a way that you can win. There is a sense of calm. And when, when something happens and you have kind of a dislocated expectation on somebody's not there, or nobody's, and, and you got to kind of manage that. And, and yeah, it, it, is, it is way easier on the road than it is at home. Um, so there's advantages to being at home, too, but there's there's also a lot of advantages to being on the road and in many ways the, the toughest thing is for the west coast teams to come east but they've always seemed to come east and win games whereas for our teams going east and winning in the west it almost never happens it almost yeah. it almost never happens i mean how we want we won a national final i think you know we won with 4 seconds to go and then they got the kick off, and we butchered kicking at the touch, and it gave them a chance to win again. Thank you very much uh, to all the teams who talked to us uh, on this first half of our previews. And uh, thanks, Bruce McLean. This is Rugged Matrix America. <laughs>